Ramana Maharishi, a great teacher in the yogic tradition, used to say that to attain inner freedom, one must continuously and sincerely ask the question, Who am I? He taught that this was more important than reading books, learning mantras, or going to holy places. Just ask, Who am I? Who sees when I see? Who hears when I hear? Who knows that I am aware? Who am I? Let's explore this question by playing a game. Make believe that you and I are having a conversation. Typically in Western cultures, when someone comes up to you and asks, Excuse me, who are you? You don't admonish them for asking such a deep question. You tell them your name, for example, Sally Smith. But I'm going to challenge this response by taking out a piece of paper and writing the letters S-A-L-L-Y-S-M-I-T-H and then showing it to you. Is that who you are? A collection of letters? Is that who sees when you see? Obviously not. So you say, okay, you're right, I'm sorry. I'm not Sally Smith. That's just a name people call me. It's a label. Really, I am Frank Smith's wife. No way. That's not even politically correct nowadays. How could you be Frank Smith's wife? Are you saying you didn't exist before you met Frank and you would cease to exist if he died or you got remarried? Frank Smith's wife can't be who you are. Again, that's just another label the result of another situation or event you participated in. But then who are you? This time you respond. Okay, now you have my attention. My label is Sally Smith. I was born in 1965 in New York. I lived in Queens with my parents, Harry and Mary Jones, until I was five years old. Then we moved to New Jersey and I went to Newark Elementary School. I got all A's in school, and in the fifth grade, I played Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. I started dating in the ninth grade, and my first boyfriend was Joe. I went to Rutgers College, where I met and married Frank Smith. That is who I am. Wait a minute, that's a fascinating story. But I didn't ask you what has happened to you since you were born. I asked you, who are you? You've just described all these experiences. But who had these experiences? Wouldn't you still be in there, aware of your existence, even if you had gone to a different college? So you contemplate this, and you realize that never in your life have you asked yourself that question and really meant it. Who am I? That is what Ramana Maharishi was asking. So you ponder this more seriously and you say, Okay, I am the body that is occupying this space. I am 5 foot 6 and I weigh 135 pounds. And here I am. When you were Dorothy in the 5th grade play, you weren't 5 foot 6. You were 4 foot 6. So which are you? Are you the four foot six person or are you the five foot six person? Weren't you in there when you were Dorothy? 
you told me you were. Aren't you the one who had the experience of being Dorothy in the fifth grade play and is now having the experience of trying to answer my questions? Isn't this the same you? Perhaps we need to step back for a moment to ask some exploratory questions before returning to the core question. When you were 10 years old, didn't you look in the mirror and see a 10-year-old body? Wasn't that the same you that now sees an adult body? What you looked at has changed, but what about you, the one who's looking? Isn't there a continuity of being? Wasn't it the same being that looked in the mirror throughout the years? You have to contemplate this very carefully. Here's another question. When you go to sleep every night, do you dream? Who dreams? What does it mean to dream? You answer, well, it's like a motion picture that plays in my mind and I watch it. Who watches it? I do. The same you who looks in the mirror? Does the same you who's reading these words also look in the mirror and watch the dreams? When you're awake, you know you saw the dream. There's a continuity of conscious awareness of being. Ramana Maharishi was just asking some very simple questions. Who sees when you see? Who hears when you hear? Who watches the dreams? Who looks at the image in the mirror? Who is it that is having all these experiences? If you try to just give honest, intuitive answers, you're simply going to say, me. It's me. I'm in here experiencing all of this. That's about the best answer you have. It's actually pretty easy to see that you're not the objects you look at. It's a classic case of subject-object. It's you, the subject, that is looking at the objects. So we don't have to go through every object in the universe and say that object is not you. We can very easily generalize by saying that if you are the one who's looking at something, then that something is not you. So right away, in one fell swoop, you know what you are not. You're not the outside world. You're the one who's inside looking out at the world. That was easy. Now at least we've eliminated the countless things outside. But who are you? And where are you if you're not outside with all the other things? You just have to pay attention and realize that you would still be in there experiencing feelings even if all the outside objects disappeared. Imagine how much fear you would feel. You might also feel frustration and even anger. But who would be feeling these things? Again you say, me. And that's the right answer. The same me experiences both the outside world and the inside emotions. To take a clear look at this, imagine that you're watching a dog play outdoors. Suddenly you hear a noise right behind you. A hiss, like a rattlesnake. Would you still be looking at the dog with the same intensity of focus? Of course not. You'd be feeling tremendous fear inside. Though the dog would still be playing in front of you. 
you'd be completely preoccupied with the experience of fear. All of your attention can very quickly become absorbed in your emotions. But who feels the fear? Isn't it the same you who is watching the dog? Who feels love when you feel love? Can't you feel so much love that it's hard to keep your eyes open? You can become so absorbed in beautiful inner feelings or frightening inner fears that it's hard to focus on outer objects. In essence, inside and outside objects compete for your attention. You are in there having both inner and outer experiences. But who are you? To explore this more deeply, answer another question. Don't you have times when you're not having emotional experiences and instead you just feel quiet inside? You're still in there, but you're just aware of peaceful quiet. Eventually, you'll begin to realize that the outside world and the flow of inner emotions come and go. But you, the one who experiences these things, remain consciously aware of whatever passes before you. But where are you? Maybe we can find you in your thoughts. Rene Descartes, a great philosopher, once said, I think, therefore I am. But is that really what's going on? The dictionary defines the verb to think as to form thoughts, to use the mind to consider ideas and make judgments. The question is, who is using the mind to form thoughts and then manipulate them into ideas and judgments? Does this experiencer of thoughts exist even when thoughts are not present? Fortunately, you don't have to think about it. You're very aware of your presence of being, your sense of existence without the help of thoughts. When you go into deep meditation, for example, the thoughts stop. You know that they've stopped. You don't think it. You're simply aware of no thoughts. You come back and say, Wow, I went into this deep meditation and for the first time my thoughts completely stopped. I was in a place of complete peace, harmony and quiet. If you're in there experiencing the peace that occurs when your thoughts stop, then obviously your existence is not dependent upon the act of thinking. Thoughts can stop and they can also get extremely noisy. Sometimes you have many more thoughts than other times. You may even tell someone, my mind is driving me crazy. Ever since he said those things to me, I can't even sleep. My mind just won't shut up. Whose mind? Who is noticing these thoughts? Isn't it you? Don't you hear your thoughts inside? Aren't you aware of their existence? In fact, can't you get rid of them? If you start to have a thought you don't like, can't you try to make it go away? People struggle with thoughts all the time. Who is it that is aware of the thoughts? And who is it that struggles with them? Again, you have a subject-object relationship with your thoughts. You are the subject. 
and thoughts are just another object you can be aware of. You are not your thoughts. You are simply aware of your thoughts. Finally, you say, fine, I'm not anything in the outside world and I'm not the emotions. These outer and inner objects come and go and I experience them. Plus, I'm not the thoughts. They can be quiet or noisy, happy or sad. Thoughts are just something else I'm aware of. But who am I? It starts to become a serious question. Who am I? Who is having all these physical, emotional and mental experiences? So you contemplate this question a little deeper. This is done by letting go of the experiences and noticing who's left. You will begin to notice who's experiencing the experience. Eventually, you will get to a point within yourself where you realize that you, the experiencer, have a certain quality. And that quality is awareness, consciousness, an intuitive sense of existence. You know that you're in there. You don't have to think about it. You just know. You can think about it if you want to, but you will know that you're thinking about it. You exist regardless. Thoughts or no thoughts. To make this more experiential, let's try a consciousness experiment. Notice that with a single glance at a room or out a window, you instantaneously see the full detail of everything that's in front of you. You are effortlessly aware of all the objects that are within the scope of your vision, both near and far away. Without moving your head or eyes, you perceive all the intricate detail of what you immediately see. Look at all the colors, the variations of light, the grain of wood furniture, the architecture of buildings and the variations of bark and leaves on trees. Notice that you take all this in at once without having to think about it. No thoughts are necessary, you just see it. Now try to use thoughts to isolate, label and describe all the intricate detail of what you see. How long would it take your mental voice to describe all that detail to you versus the instantaneous snapshot of consciousness just seeing? When you just look without creating thoughts, your consciousness is effortlessly aware of and fully comprehends all that it sees. Consciousness is the highest word you will ever utter. There's nothing higher or deeper than consciousness. Consciousness is pure awareness. But what is awareness? Let's try another experiment. Let's say you are in a room looking at a group of people and a piano. Now make believe the piano ceases to exist in your world. Would you have a major problem with that? You say, no, I don't think so. I'm not attached to pianos. Okay then. Make believe the people in the room cease to exist. Are you still okay? Can you handle it? You say, sure, I like being alone. Now make believe your awareness doesn't exist. 
just turn it off. How are you doing now? What would it be like if your awareness didn't exist? It's actually pretty simple. You wouldn't be there. There would be no sense of me. There wouldn't be anyone in there to say, wow, I used to be in here, but now I'm not. There would no longer be an awareness of being. And without awareness of being or consciousness, there's nothing. Are there objects? Who knows? If no one is aware of the objects, their existence or non-existence becomes completely irrelevant. It doesn't matter how many things are in front of you. If you turn off the consciousness, there's nothing. If you are conscious, however, there can be nothing in front of you, but you're fully aware that there's nothing. It's really not that complicated and it's very enlightening. So now if I ask you, who are you? You answer, I am the one who sees. From back in here somewhere, I look out and I'm aware of the events, thoughts and emotions that pass before me. If you go very deep, that is where you live. You live in the seat of consciousness. A true spiritual being lives there without effort and without intent. Just as you effortlessly look outside and see all that you see, you will eventually sit far enough back inside to see all your thoughts and emotions as well as outer form. All of these objects are in front of you. The thoughts are closer in. The emotions are a little further away and form is way out there. Behind it all, there you are. You go so deep that you realize that's where you've always been. At each stage of your life, you have seen different thoughts, emotions and objects pass before you. But you have always been the conscious receiver of all that was. Now you are in your center of consciousness. You are behind everything, just watching. That is your true home. Take everything else away and you're still there, aware that everything is gone. But take the center of awareness away and there is nothing. That center is the seat of self. From that seat, you are aware that there are thoughts, emotions, and a world coming in through your senses. But now you're aware that you're aware. That is the seat of the Buddhist self, the Hindu Atma, and the Judeo-Christian soul. The great mystery begins once you take that seat deep within.